I'm Russ Shaw. This is ASI. The following is my testimony, the whole story, recorded at Allen Creek Community Church on Sunday, October 15th of 2006. Here you go. Introduced to religion at a young age. In my Christian environment, I didn't really see God as someone who was safe that I could talk to. You know, I said the magic prayer. I got my sins all taken care of. You know, Jesus comes into your heart and you don't sin anymore, right? I kind of, kind of thought of God as Santa or the tooth fairy after that. Only he had a stick in his hand ready to smack me when I was bad. All I really knew was religion. When I was a kid, my mom and dad got divorced and pain entered my life in a big way. I remember going to some of my Christian relatives and asking tough, unsafe questions. If my mom and dad don't love each, love each other, maybe they don't love me either. I think scary, sometimes violent thoughts. Does God even care? Sometimes I just want to die. I remember this kind of how dare you question God response from my relatives. I learned this was not a safe subject to talk about, so I closed up. I didn't talk about the divorce. I didn't talk about God. I put a padlock on my heart, and I didn't talk about a lot of things. Why? Because God loves the good little children, and talking about hurt and pain just wasn't good. You see, I was led to believe that when you're at the end of your rope, the time you need God most, I was on his naughty list. So I broke relationship. God didn't. He was still there like a very patient father with a rebellious middle finger in the air, death metal rocker kid. <laughs> I got into all sorts of stuff. I was introduced to hardcore porn on videotape. I found my dad's stash under the bed. But it wasn't just porn. It was drugs. It was getting drunk every night. It was smoking pot. You name it. Anything to numb the pain. All this stuff I kicked on my own, all those old habits, but I still had this monkey on my back. It was porn. Somehow I started going to church again. I shed my leather jacket for shirts and ties, my long bushy hair for the clean cut look. But I still had this religion chip on my shoulder. I thought, if I can believe enough, if I just trust God enough, if I have enough faith, then God will bless me. If you're sick, if you're broke, if you're brokenhearted, that means you just don't have enough faith. And God doesn't love you. You're going to hell. So again, when I was at the end of my rope, I thought God wasn't there. My shiny white outward churchgoer appearance, underneath all that, I was addicted to porn. I was still addicted. One day, my wife, my bride, caught me with my covered-up compulsive porn habit, and a bomb went off. I met with a pastor who didn't really know how to handle the situation. My wife got some counseling. I did not. This is between me and God, I said. I could handle this on my own, I thought. And when that failed, I chose to get bitter instead of better. I became bitter towards God and God's people in the church. My religion, God will love me if I'm good enough, just didn't fly. I quit going to the church I was a member of. After that, I listened to a guy on the radio named Tom Lycus who said, I got a pitchfork with my name on it. And I said, yeah, and a new religion was born in me. The God doesn't care. I can do whatever I want. It's my life and I'm going to hell anyway, religion. 
I heard the same guy on the radio say, come on, guys, sex is just a biological urge. It's like going to the bathroom. If you go to the bathroom, you use a toilet. If you have to take care of that other urge, you use a woman. Something in me rejected that at first, thinking, no, I love my wife and I don't think of her like that. However, the culture taught me that sex was a product. You consume it when you feel the need to take it off the shelf and use it. Porn on my time, like popcorn or something. You just pop it in the microwave and you can have it right here and right now. So with this new doctrine, I decided I would just keep my little habit in the dark. Besides, it wasn't technically cheating. And what they don't what they don't know won't hurt them. Right. I chose that day to quit fighting my monster under the bed, and that's when things really got bad. One day with a mind fed on a steady diet of porn and my lust meter spiking, I picked up a hitchhiker. At least I thought she was a hitchhiker. She let me know her profession and I resisted. No, I, I love my wife. I'm not going to pay for sex. But what came out of her mouth next was a sermon preached right from the pulpit of my new religion. Why did you pick me up then? She said, you want something from me and I'm saying I want to give it to you. You have a biological urge and I'm here to fill it for you. It's a lot cheaper than buying me dinner and a movie, right? Let's just save you all that time and hassle and having an affair and take care of it right here, right now. I fell. I used this woman like a toilet. It happened again and again, and I couldn't stop. My porn monster had a new companion. You see, just like all the times I told myself I was going to stop using porn and I fell again and again, I also told myself I'd never use a prostitute. But no, my, my new religion had me believe condoms are safe and sex can be just like shaking hands. Then why did I feel myself getting colder inside, I thought. I asked myself, why was I bleeding inside? What was I doing to my wife? It was about then my wife found my porn again. She was ready to walk out. Little did she know about the other monster, the other women. That's when I wound up here at AC3 in Dan Hazen's office in 2003 after vowing I would never go to church again. I still loved my wife, trying desperately to save my marriage. I couldn't afford a real counselor, I thought. So there I was at AC3. <laughs> I got in a marriage group. Me and my wife made some tough, hard choices to start the healing process. I started asking the hard questions about God. The unsafe ones. I was not going to fall for that religion again. I remember one day I came at Rick with a line of questioning that was backed by a Christians that are all fake and the Bible's full of crap kind of attitude. Rick and Dan and a lot of folks in this church helped me realize who Jesus really is. It's about relationship, not religion. It comes from inside you and flows out. It's about love. You can't stuff it inside you from the outside. That's religion. So I started reaching out. My marriage was still in crisis, but I picked up that very heavy phone and asked for help. After a lot of counseling in the fall of 2005, I'd realized I'd gone a year without using porn. A year. I never thought that was possible. This thing plagued me all my life. So realizing that gave me a big boost of confidence. 
I was actually able to stop porn before I stopped with the prostitutes. And I started an online audio blog, like a radio show on the Internet, called Attitudes of Sexual Integrity. Talking about attitudes behind that first year porn-free. I had no idea that thousands of people would listen. I was not alone. I I learned by blogging and journaling my thoughts into a microphone on the Internet, I finally had the victory and confidence of taking on the other monster, and I haven't fell since. With God's love, counseling, and community, I was getting free. But there was still this one thing I hadn't done. In June of 2006, a listener to my show wrote in an email about his prayer life. He said he started listening to God in prayer instead of talking all the time. I felt God had been leading me to confess about the affairs for months. So in July of this year, I finally let the last and largest bomb go off. And when that bomb of my bad choices went off, it devastated my wife. I shattered the heart of the person I loved the most. I wish I could take it all back, erase it from the past. But I had to tell her because I was living a lie. In her heart of hearts, she knew something wasn't right. But this time, when the bomb went off, it was contained in an environment of people willing to get their hands dirty. Unlike before, when they pushed me away, the other churches. So maybe the bomb has gone off in your life. Or maybe you have a bomb ticking. I'm here to say that sex is not like shaking hands. Our sex organs are attached to our hearts, our souls, the core of who we are. God is maybe pushing on this pain in your life, saying you need to deal with this. Like a great surgeon, he's saying this hurts, right? There's something deeper you need to deal with. You need to defuse the bomb now before the blast devastates everyone and everything around you. Maybe your bomb isn't sex addiction. Maybe it's something else. But people here at AC3 love Jesus and actually know what that means. They want to help you experience God's grace. Getting those heart wounds healed may be a big first step. Second step, do I think you should go home tonight and blurt, I have a compulsive porn habit or I'm having an affair? No. But you do need to talk about this with another person as soon as possible. The monster's biggest power is that it lurks in the dark and nobody knows about it and it's hid. Psychologists are saying that sex addiction is four times harder to kick than heroin. You can't do this on your own. Like a person sinking in quicksand, you struggle on your own and you struggle and the farther you sink. You want freedom? Have the courage to put a hand up. Eye to eye, person to person. There is people in this church who aren't afraid to get their shiny white Christian suits dirty and help you. There's a system set up here like a bomb squad set up to help the spouses of the addicts as well before the bomb to contain the blast. Doing it on your own is like a bomb going off and carnage all over the place. The wounds are very real. Listen, there's freedom from this. I'm a year clean from all sexual gratification that's outside my wife. And my wife, I love, who is a very strong woman, has chosen to stick with me, even though no one would blame her a bit for leaving me. She has chosen a path of grace over what I deserve. Honey, I love you, and I always will.
The slave has been set free. And if we can escape this relentless prison of sex addiction, I'm here to tell you, you can too.
Let's take them now to God and ask for God to speak to us. God, we just want to simply say that, that you would speak to us in the deep places of our heart. Because um, every single one of us in some area of our life, we looked at the tempting water uh, drifting out at sea and we drank the salt water and drank it some more and some more and some more. And it never satisfied our thirst. So we pray that you would speak to us about your solutions and um, your help to live according to your higher standard so that we might live lives blessed and whole. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you know, Jesus had such a way of cutting to the chase. Uh, it's a pretty amazing thing when you think about it. In a day and age when no one talked about sex in private, let alone in public, Jesus just fearlessly would talk about sex and sex issues in public. He would talk about it to his disciples. He talked about the power of human sexuality. He acknowledged how the misuse of our sexuality doesn't begin by being in the wrong bedroom. And that was one of the most radical things he said about it. He said the misuse of our sexuality begins in our minds. And he says it's here in our minds that the broken dreams begin to take root in the fertile soil of a mismanaged imagination. It begins in the secret places of our hearts and only then leads to outworkings in physical ways that are then also kept secret. And so those two different kinds of secrets are really what we want to talk about today. Internal and external sex secrets. Someone was worried about this topic because they were considering it and they said, wow, I mean, how many people really struggle with this? And they were uh, told, look, 85% of everybody who's honest about this will tell you they struggle with some form of sexual sin. 15% are liars. <laughs> so 
Well, so let's talk about this for a little bit. Uh, external secrets. What is that? External secrets are when we've had some physical sexual contact with someone we're not married to if we're in a marriage relationship. A lot of people are carrying around these kinds of secrets. They're married, let's say, and um, they have had some exchange, be it full blown sexual intercourse or some kissing or sexual touching with someone who is not their spouse. It's an outward external Sex, sin, and they're paying the price. And it's probably pretty easy for us to see why Jesus would condemn external physical unfaithfulness, right? That's probably pretty easy for us. But just in case it's not clear, uh, let me just spell it out. Russ really illustrated it in his story so well, and he said it first. Sex is spiritual. It's not just like shaking hands. It's breathtakingly intimate. So when sexual intimacy is shared with someone outside a committed union, it's soul rocking. And I've watched this and had front row seats. And because we know that unfaithfulness is so crushing, of course, when it happens, what do we do? We keep it down. We keep it on the DL. We we keep it secret. Some of you are carrying this secret right now this morning. And I just realized, I mean, in a room this size, of course. So I hope that by the end of today, you know what to do. Now, let's talk about internal sex secrets. They're a little bit more more complex. And some of us would say, okay, the inside stuff, Rick, come on. I mean, that's just like a harmless sexual misdemeanor, right? Well, look, if you can't read Jesus and not realize that he was very, very serious about this and very, very clear, he said in my kingdom, look, the people who want to follow me, they commit not just to sleeping in the right beds. He said they commit to internal sexual purity, a sexual purity that really begins in the mind. And they eschew this thing we call lust. What is lust? Let's talk about that for a second, because lust is different from having a passing sexual thought. Everyone has those. They say that men are capable of thinking about sex every nine seconds. <laughs> Not sure if that's true. If so, then you've had sexual thoughts about, well, about 55 times since the last uh, couple minutes. So, um, you know, there are just passing sexual thoughts that we're going to have. Lust is a totally different thing. It's when we cross a line mentally. Lust is when we take all the wonderful complexity of a human being made in the image of God and we begin the slide of reducing it to a body. It's when a woman looks at a man, a complex man, a man made in the image of God, an image bearer, a man who has a past and a family and has dreams and a mother and father and and reduces that man to what he can bring to her ego or what he can bring to her body or her boredom or her empty heart. Lust is when a man looks at a woman with feelings, you know, a woman, an image bearer, a human being, a person with a spiritual life and a relationship with God and a mind and dreams and aspirations and reduces that wonderfully complex image bearer into an object for sexual gratification. Now, not only does this sort of internal deal, it it dehumanizes people. Friends, look, it's progressively enslaving. And that's its damage. And I just need to spell it out at the outset as if Russ's story didn't illustrate it enough. Listen to this letter that I received recently. I lost my wife. The person says I was it was complicated. I chose porn sites over her and it took me away from her and my son. I feel ashamed, so ashamed that I couldn't tell my wife until it was too late or see the problem myself. I degraded my very soul. It was a shameful place and I felt like I lied to society all the time. I feel like crying a river right now. It was a time bomb that would have destroyed me totally. Friends, look, lust has this kind of addictive power. It just does. It's a relationship busting, uh, love diminishing, self-destructive, dead end deal. And it is epidemic in our culture. 
And that's why we have to talk about it. And we just can't be honest about the internal realities of the human soul without talking about secret sex sins. It's killing us. And friends, can we just stop kidding ourselves that this isn't in the church? Okay, it's in the church. It comes from the culture and it comes in here. And sometimes, friends, we have the struggle with this as we mimic the world and we pay the price for not living according to God's higher standard. So let me talk a little bit preventatively about secret sex sins, and then we'll talk a little bit more about what happens after. If you're with me on this, and some of you are not, I just assume that some of you in this room are not with me on this. You're not on Jesus' page. You don't necessarily want to get on his page where we live for loving relationships and reject lust. Um, if you're with me on this, you need to listen to Jesus' remedies. Because if you're going to get Jesus solutions, you're going to get his preventative remedies to the lust problem. OK, and so if you're really interested in that, here's what he said right after he talks about the insidiousness of lust. He offers his remedy. OK, here it is from Matthew, chapter six. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to go into heaven missing a few body parts than to be in hell with a complete body. Now, there's Jesus cutting to the chase, right? I just wish he wouldn't mince words, you know. Um, what, what's he saying? Well, look, he's not talking about physical mutilation, right? He's, he's using hyperbole. He did this a lot. He would exaggerate to make a great point. And so he's using hyperbole to suggest that we take radical action against sin. Soul-destroying behaviors that take us away from God and away from healthy relationships. Radical action. So when he says you pluck out an eye or you cut off an arm, he's saying you starve whatever it is that feeds your secret. How do you turn off a diesel engine? I'm told that, you know, they're not like uh, gasoline engines. Gasoline engine, you turn off the ignition, you're turning off the electric spark to the motor. In a gasoline motor, there's no electric spark in there. It runs on compression. You turn it off by shutting off the fuel supply. And that's kind of what this is talking about. How do you move out of lust? Jesus is saying the first thing you do is you starve whatever it is that supplies your lustful thoughts. What's the fuel? What's the fuel for you? If the fuel for you is images in magazines, videos, computers, movies, books, television, maybe the fuel for you is certain persons or practices or situations or environments, whatever it is. You shut off the supply. He's saying, look, if those images feed your lust, go blind to those images as if you have no eyes. If your arm is reaching for the car keys to drive you to a place that feeds your lust, Jesus says, respond like an amputee. You've got no arms. If your feet are trying to take you into a lust feeding relationship, go lame. OK, that's basically the deal. Radical action. Do drastic things. Now, some of you want me to make maybe some prescriptions and that would make it real simple for you. Make this a clean cut deal this morning. And I'm not going to do that because Jesus just gave an overarching principle. Go blind and go lame to whatever the fuel is for your lust uh, building uh, thoughts. Shut off the fuel supply. But you say to me, OK, Rick, OK, got the message, but way too simple. OK, you're way too simple. Rick. You're like Nancy Reagan and drugs. Just say no. You know, that's not that easy, Rick. I'm telling you, I'm trapped. I'm trying over and over again. I can't stop. And you're sitting here in Russ's exact situation. Understand this, that taking radical action means taking action long before you're trapped. Long before you're trapped. That's why it's radical, because it looks unnecessary and it looks too careful. Now, let me paint the picture for you. 
Imagine you're a person and you're at the edge of a cliff. And uh, at the outset of this cliff, as you look at the topography, the edge starts to gradually go downhill. But then it gets sort of steeper and steeper until it finally drops off at a near vertical uh, plane with loose rocks and shale on the edge of this cliff. And at the bottom is a pit of snakes. Okay, now you got the picture in your mind? Now, imagine, let's say you're the person you're really interested in, you know, snake pits for some reason. And uh, you want to go out to the edge to get a closer look. First few feet, we think not a problem. It's not a problem. Not really. I mean, you're just you're moving towards a problem, but it's not really a problem. You can keep your balance. You can still climb back fairly easily. Next few feet, not so easy. Next few feet, much harder. Next few feet and your feet are slipping. And next step and you're in a near free fall. And friends, let me describe the situation. Some of you would tell me that you're trying to uh, get free in this area, but you can't stop. And the truth is, here's the truth about you. You have positioned yourself near the snake pit at the bottom of the cliff. Now you're taking action, but you're not taking radical action. And some of you have far, far, far too high an opinion of your own climbing ability. And that's why you take step after step after step over the edge. This isn't a problem, you say. I can have this conversation about sex with this man who is not my husband. We're just good buds. I can give these sorts of intimate physical gestures to women who are not my wife. It's 2006 for crying out loud. Okay. Men and women can touch. I can watch these movies. It's not pornographic. I can have a conversation about this topic. It's no big deal. I can go on an overnight trip with my boyfriend. We'll sleep separately. I can go uh, with my uh, girl to make out point after dark, after romantic dinner, after I've declared my love. Nothing will happen. Really. Look, radical action means you start to address the lust monster when others may not need to. By the time you're slipping, it's too late. Radical action means addressing it at the top of the cliff and not at the bottom and saying, I'm trapped. Now, what might that mean? I don't want to give you a picture. See, because different stimuli uh, excite different people in different ways. Your radical action may be different from my radical action. Okay, that's why we can't be prescriptive about everything universally. But let me give you some ideas about radical action. If one of these lust triggers is your lust trigger. Okay, and let's go right to the uh, right for the jugular here. The thing we've been talking about all morning, the Internet. Radical action against Internet pornography does not begin with you just saying to yourself, stop using porn. Some of you have tried and you've tried that over and over and over and over and over and it's not working and it's your secret. And so you're on the net and you're working late and the room is dark and no one's at home and you say to yourself, don't look at porn too late. Way, way, way too late. You're taking action at that moment, but you fail to take radical action. Radical action would mean something like pulling the plug on the computer in any situation where the websites you're looking at could not be monitored by someone else. It would mean finding a way. And there are ways to ensure that the websites you visit are exposed to everyone in your life. Because why would you look at something that couldn't be exposed if you want to walk in the light? Or secondly, you could uh, arrange a situation where you have no physical way uh, to certain view uh, to view certain websites, such as a content blocker, a lockout or a family rule against hidden computer time and that sort of thing. Some courageous men in our church have started using software from a place called triplexchurch.com. And uh, this is a Christian website. And yes, they have a very good uh, sense of humor about themselves. They say the the best Christian porn site on the net and uh, <laughs> 
Um, they, they are, in fact, helping people escape the monster of uh, porn addiction. And basically, they offer this free software that, that enables you to send every site that you visit to somebody else that you trust. A friend who would be a partner with you or maybe several friends who would be a partner with you in your fight against lust. Why? Why does this work? Exposure helps. Jesus said, John chapter three, those who do wrong, hate the light and do not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But those who love the light come in so that they can see what's being done. There's a whole attitude of life. Hiddenness versus exposure. Some have a personal rule uh, that they've made to help take radical action. I can never be alone in my office at night. Some have said I'm available to my spouse 24-7 on business trips because there never should be a time that she or he can't reach me. That's radical action. Now, will everyone need to take the radical steps you take? No, they got their own monster under their own bed, their own lust triggers. For women, it may be the world of romance novels and soap operas. And this is a deal. Uh, can a human watch those without falling headlong into sexual sin uh, and lust? Sure, I can watch soaps all day long. The only sin that's happening is the sin of bad writing that I'm watching on the screen. Okay, But for some people, the world of soap operas or romance novels opens up a potent fantasy world that begins the slide. How does it happen? Imagine a woman who says this. I can't help but realize in reading romance fiction what my husband should be and isn't. I crave a man who can bring the kind of security and warmth I read about or watch. And it seems that other women have. Now it's gone beyond the escape fantasies. I find myself listening to my neighbor who talks about his wife warmly, wishing that I was married to him. My heart is dead to my husband, and I don't think it will ever be made alive again. That's, that's female porn. And it begins the slide into the dehumanizing activity of lust. Now, both men and women, it's, here's another area, uh, a hugely growing trigger that requires radical action is online relationships. It's not pornography, but here's what happens, okay, in online relationships. Tremendously reduced inhibitions. Millions of people right now in this moment are talking online to people who they don't really know or see or, or do not have face-to-face -face relationship with them. And because of the reduced inhibition that that brings, are talking about things they shouldn't talk about. They're talking, they have become for them outlets for sexual fantasy and relational escape. Sometimes an escape from real hard relationships, face-to-face -face relationships that are going poorly. And so these online relationships have become the escape valve. You know what's going to be interesting in a few years? And this is totally anecdotal on my part. I don't have like stats to know where this is headed. But based on my own uh, work in this area, I think we're going to be amazed in a few years because we're going to find out how many divorces were directly spurred by online relationships. We're going to find that out in a few years and you and I are going to be shocked. How do you stop if this is your trigger? Radical action. There should be no conversation with a person of the opposite sex online that you couldn't forward immediately to your wife or your husband if you're married or if you're not married to your parents. Uh, some people have cut their MySpace account, which for them has turned from an online community, which I think was maybe the original intent, to a meat market, which it has become for many people. Here's another area in flesh and blood relationships. You know, as we're just interacting with people, um, some of us may need to take radical action in ways that to our friends are going to seem not hip, not cool and way too careful. But it will be your way of cutting off the fuel. For example, some of you maybe need to reconsider lunches alone. Or driving alone with someone of the opposite sex. You say, that's crazy. 
not crazy. I mean, if you could just see, friends, how deep this problem is going pervasively in our society, how it's wrecking relationships, you'd say, not crazy. If we're interested in health and wholeness. See, that's just being sober about what our knowing what our triggers are and then joyfully taking radical action for a God who loves us. And that's the context of everything I'm saying. I went over to a friend's house the other day and was expecting to see him there. And he was late for our meeting. His wife was there alone. No kids, just her and me. And we had a nice conversation, a nice little chat at the door, but I consciously refused to enter that house and sit down for coffee. And it seemed maybe a little goofy at the moment, like a little inhospitable of me. Was anything going to happen? No. But that's why it's radical. That's why it's radical action. You think, oh, people are going to think I'm goofy for that. You know what? My friend thinks I'm a hero because he heard about it. And he thought that was great. You know your triggers, friends. I cut off the flow of HBO into my home years ago because it was a lust trigger. I have blocks on my computer because it's a lust trigger. I live in the same world you do. Okay. I cut off Skinamax. Okay. Because that's what it is. That's what it is. Look, if your heart is hard or if you disagree with Jesus about sex, okay, let's just say this for just a second. If you're sitting here investigating this and you're maybe where Russ was and you're saying you invented a new religion, you're saying this is way too hard. The standards that the church has talked about and that Jesus talks about, no lust, no inside problems. Oh, you've got to be kidding. That standard's way too high. Look, if that's where you're at, then everything I'm saying just is going to seem way too hard. And you're just going to, you know, it's going to, it's going to engender a rebellious spirit in you. And you're going to find a way around some safety net. Any safety net we're talking about would just sort of seem like superficial rules. Look, Jesus wasn't talking to people who wanted to keep on sinning. He was talking to forgiven people who really wanted to please God, not people who were looking for license. This talk about lust comes in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. The open door, the way you get into the Sermon on the Mount, first verse is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How do you get into the kingdom? Poverty of spirit, where you experience the grace of God. Now, once you've experienced God's grace, now you want to live for God. The rest of the sermon is about how you live for God. And so that's what this is about. It's about how to please God, having been forgiven a boatload of sin. And so when God gives his moral boundaries in the Old Testament, hear this, he says, these aren't idle words. These are life giving laws. When Jesus says radical action against sin, hear this, he says, this is a life giving principle. And if your heart is right and you've accepted God's grace, you know how much he loves you. You hear it for what it is. If your heart is hard, you'll hear only rules and constricting regulations that will cramp your style. Now, quickly, we talked about preventative. Now, what about those of us who are maybe hiding the secret and we're in the middle of this deal? What do you do now? Well, the first thing is you got to own up. Admit that there's an issue is the first step. What's going on inside of you that drives lust? A couple years ago, I made a concerted effort to begin to understand male sexuality better. You know why? Because... Uh, here I am, a Christian guy, born and raised in a Christian home, and I was blown away at the power of my own sexuality. And so I bought a book called The Sexual Male by Archibald Hart, a book that I suggest that you all read. And people gave me funny looks when they saw it on my desk. You know, they come in for counseling, and there's a book, The Sexual Male, right there on my desk. And I just didn't care, you know. Because it was helping me find root patterns of lusting and false sexual expectations that were locked in my childhood. And did you notice how transparent Russ was about that? I'm just I'm making commentary on his story. 
He was telling us that he had brokenness and pain and he could never let it out into the light. And so it went underground. And this is one of the ways he acted out was in lusting ways. And so, friends, you got to get to the bottom of that friend. Own up. There's a problem. Get to the bottom of it. Say, this is the truth about me. This is how my sexuality has been junked up. This is how my unhealthy relationship with God has contributed to my problem. And just get honest about that. Second thing you do is you reach out and you confess. And the word confess in the Bible is a compound word. It means um, same word. That's what confess means. Same word. What it basically means is agree. Agree with God about the state of your situation. First thing you do is confess to God because he's willing to forgive. That's why there was a cross. That's why there was a cross. Second thing you do is you confess to someone else, someone that you trust. See, I've not met anyone who overcomes lust alone. The truth is there's only one way out of certain dungeons, and that's together. It's on the arm of a friend, and lust is one of those dungeons. Friends, look, if you're in affair, in an affair right now, take radical action. I mean, just take radical action. Don't even be careful about it. Just take radical action. Cut that off now and tell someone. It's part of the radical action you might take. Tell a good Christian counselor. Tell a trusted friend or a church small group leader or a pastor. And they can love you and they will help you. And especially if you're in just the internal stage, they'll help you with a little bit of truth therapy. And they'll say, okay, let's fantasize about this for a little bit. Let's go down this road of where you're headed and imagine what this will do to your life. And you can envision the brokenness before it actually comes. And that truth therapy might be aversion therapy. And they'll give you some perspective if it's just an internal thing. And they'll cut, help you cut off the fuel before it goes nuclear on you. And eventually, I say, you must, if you're married, you must tell your spouse. And I, I know, I understand, many counselors will never advise you to tell a spouse. They'll say, just keep that hidden. That's about your own personal junk or whatever. I just radically disagree. And I'll tell you why, because you want an intimate marriage. You want an intimate marriage and you can't build back intimacy with a monster in your bed. And I told this story before. My wife and I processed our own emotional affair years ago and it hurt a lot. And it was ugly and painful and the sting of betrayal was real and forgiveness was tentative at first and confession was a process. And just like that, for you, you're looking at a hard road if you decide to agree. Agree with God and, and confess and come into the light. And just like that for you, it may take a while. And the relationships you may be in may be up in the air. You may risk them all. But listen to me. If your heart is really back in the union, let's say you're married. And after you violated it, it can be healed. It can. I know it's radical. It's absolutely radical. But this is the new way of the kingdom where we live by a different value system. And just desserts is not the final deal around here. If your heart is not back in the union, if you don't really want to honor your marriage vows, your spouse will see through a superficial confession and your marriage is as good as dead. And I've seen that uh, scenario played out many times. But if you don't confess, you know what? Your lingering shame and tentativeness will probably kill it anyway. You notice Russ's story again. I'm commenting on his story, how he his wife knew there was something he had bring. He was bringing that baggage every day, even though it wasn't spoken. It was there. And that's why I just advise what the scripture says. Just walk in the light. Walk in the light. And yes, you risk terrible, awful pain. I know. I know. I've seen it. I know what I'm asking you to do. 
So I just believe the best way is full confession, full repentance, and fully accept the consequences of your actions. And forgiveness is not your problem in that moment. It is the problem of the person you've offended, the person that you have wounded, the person you have sinned against. And you help them forgive only by being truly contrite and by breaking off all vestiges of the prior relationship and committing yourself to finding true happiness in God's grace and rejecting the lies of lust and the dehumanizing effect that it's had on you. Because the Bible says if we walk in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with God and with one another. Walking in the light restores oneness vertically and horizontally. And in the short term, yes, there's there's pain and it hits the fan. And that's why there must be a bomb squad. But in every case I've seen where there's an affair that came to light, this is just interesting, friends. And again, my experience, no like statistical, you know, research on this. Every situation I've found, the uh, issues were brought into the light and the marriage didn't get fixed. The offender did not fully repent. And that's very ironic to me because you'd think that at least in some cases there would be an offended person who just couldn't get over it and they just pull the ripcord. But I found in every situation there was at least the desire to rebuild. At least that was there. And that's not to say that forgiveness was easily offered. It is to say that it was offered. And so, friends, there's often that willingness there. And when reconciliation didn't happen, the offender usually hung on to the illicit relationship in some way. But when full and complete repentance happened, demonstrated in radical action, healing has taken place. And I've seen marriages destined for the scrap heap and they were saved by God's grace. And I've seen a lot of them in February. We're going to talk about this. We're going to have a whole series called Desperate Households. And you're going to see some live relationships here at Allen Creek who are saved off the scrap heap. And we're going to get them to tell their story to you so that you can have hope. So that you can know that there's a way back after your secret sex sin. James chapter 5 verse 16 says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Why would you confess? Why would you ever confess? Why bring the monster out from under the bed? It might blow up your life. It might end the relationship. It might hurt. Yes, it might hurt. So does cancer surgery. You confess because you are safe in God's love. You confess because you're not alone. And look, not a single person in this room can leave this place today and think, well, I'm the only one. Shame, shame, shame on me because I'm the only one. And I'll never bring this into the light because no one else struggles the way I struggle. Never. It's gone. That excuse is off the table. You are not alone. And you can come into the light because lust has more power in the dark than in the light. And you can come into the light because you want to be free. And you can come into the light because keeping it down has not kept it demolished, has it? Now, how should it come out? Very important. In trusted places, build a bomb squad, professional counselor, pastor, church leader. Deal with that in safe places so there can be some containment arranged. But in the end, the only thing you're missing by hiddenness is grace. It's the only thing you're missing. And if we all take radical action, friends, set godly boundaries, tell trusted friends, keep short accounts with God, then, you know, maybe then AC3 would be a place of sexual health and blessing and a stark contrast to a world which is a picture of broken relationships and pain and selfishness. And wouldn't that be great? That was Pastor Rick Thiessen of Allen Creek Community Church.
in Marysville, Washington. The website is ac3.org. If you would like to download the rest of the series, Monsters in the Closet, this is Russ Shaw. My email is russ at asi247.org. Thank you for listening.